This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hi, I'm Ron Paul, former congressman and presidential candidate. I'm here to tell you about a product that might just save your lives. It's a home freeze dryer from Harvest Right. With this great product, you can freeze dry the food your family loves, and it will last for 25 years. Our ancestors preserved and prepared for difficult times, shouldn't we? To learn more, go to HarvestRight.com or call 800-594-4635. That's 800-594-4635. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network. Just as some Americans refuse to believe that America's founders built this nation on Christian Judeo principles, there are those who can't accept that they also did their best to set up the eventual abolition of slavery in the country. As we have demonstrated in this serial, there were multiple factors that prevented eliminating slavery immediately. But even many of the slaveholding founders like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who were the first men in the New World to try to abolish slavery by including abolition in the original Declaration of Independence, before other delegates took that section out, and Ben Franklin, who were opposed to the practice and sought to end it. Franklin eventually became president of a Philadelphia abolition society. George Mason, also a Virginia slaveholder, in fact, the second largest slaveholder in Fairfax County after George Washington, was also a longtime abolitionist. Again, many Americans can't get their head around the obvious dichotomy. But once you understand the laws of the time, it's not that difficult. These men were playing with the hand they were dealt until such a time they could figure out a way to obtain a new deck of cards, a new set of laws, but without toppling the game itself. It's important to remember, Virginia law prohibited the owners from freeing their slaves. Of the practice, George Mason wrote, Slavery is a slow poison which is daily contaminating the minds and morals of our people. Every gentleman here is born a petty tyrant, and in such an infernal school are to be educated our future legislators and rulers. And at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787, he repeated his sentiments. Every master of slaves is born a petty tyrant. Slaves bring the judgment of heaven on a country. As nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. So committed was he to the cause of abolition that even though he was widely regarded as the father of the Bill of Rights, Mason refused to sign the Constitution in large part because it did not specifically and immediately end slavery. John Jay, a Revolutionary War hero and author of several of the Federalist Papers, who eventually became the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. As Governor of New York, he signed the legislation he had long fought for, which abolished slavery in that state. Signer of the Declaration of Independence and member of the Continental Congress, Benjamin Rush, was an early advocate for ridding the nation of slavery. He published an influential anti-slavery pamphlet in 1773. But no discussion of slavery 
founders and abolitionists would be complete without mentioning some of the black heroes who were founders themselves of the anti-slavery movement. Courageous Americans like Harriet Tubman. Born in slavery in 1822 in Maryland, where she was routinely whipped and beaten. Tubman was a devout Christian and a fearless freedom fighter. Despite a serious head injury from her owner that caused her health issues for the rest of her life, she escaped slavery in 1849 at the age of 27. But rather than just keep going and enjoying her new freedom, she immediately turned around and headed back to Maryland time after time to rescue members of her own family and lead them to freedom. She became an important member of the Underground Railroad, a network of blacks and whites who used secret routes and safe houses to help blacks escape slavery. The slaves were taken to free states, or more securely, taken to Canada, since the southern slave owners would often kidnap free blacks in the north and take them back to the south with them, claiming they had escaped. From Biography In 1850, things became more dangerous for Harriet when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed. Instead of being a free woman, she was now a fugitive. She continued to free slaves, but now guiding them to Canada so they could truly be free. From 1851 to 1857, Harriet lived mostly north of the border in St. Catharines, Canada. She continued to make trips to Maryland twice a year to save more slaves. As if all of that wasn't enough of a risk for Harriet Tubman, during the Civil War, she joined the Union Army as an armed scout and spy. She was the first woman to lead an armed expedition in the war, guiding the raid at Kambahi Ferry, which liberated more than 700 slaves. Harriet Tubman lived to witness the end of slavery in the United States and died a free woman on her own property in New York State in 1913. The extraordinary life of Frederick Douglass began in slavery as well in 1818. Douglass experienced all of the horrors of slavery during his youth and young adulthood, before finally escaping from Maryland to Pennsylvania in 1838. The next year he became a licensed preacher and began honing his oratory skills for which he would later become so famous. Historian David Barton fills in some of the details of his life from that point. Three years after his escape, he delivered an anti-slavery speech in Massachusetts. He was promptly hired to work for the state's anti-slavery society, and he also served as a preacher at Zion Methodist Church. During Douglas's first years in freedom in the North, he studied at the feet of abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, who taught him that the Constitution was a pro-slavery document. Douglas accepted this claim, and his early speeches and writings reflected that belief. However, Douglas later began to research the issue for himself. He read the Constitution. He read the writings of those who wrote the Constitution. And what he found revolutionized his thinking. Once Frederick Douglass had read the Constitution for himself and studied the words of the Founding Fathers, his entire outlook on the document and America changed. I was on the anti-slavery question fully committed to the doctrine touching the pro-slavery character of the Constitution. I advocated this with pen and tongue, according to the best of my ability. However, upon a latter reconsideration of the whole subject, 
I became convinced that the Constitution of the United States not only contained no guarantees in favor of slavery, but on the contrary, it is in its letter and spirit an anti-slavery instrument demanding the abolition of slavery as a condition of its own existence as the supreme law of the land. Now, here was a radical change in my opinions. Douglas traveled the country for six months in 1843, touring with an anti-slavery group of speakers. At a stop in Indiana, an angry pro-slavery mob chased him, caught him, and beat him before a local Christian Quaker family rescued him. Frederick Douglass went on to become a best-selling author, diplomat, and a member of a fledgling anti-slavery, pro-abolition political party named the Republican Party. It was the same party to which a former congressman and 1860 presidential candidate Abraham Lincoln belonged. While the Founding Fathers and courageous black leaders brought the United States to the brink of ridding itself of the evil of slavery, it was the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln, with his steady hand, his inspired leadership, his resolute commitment, that pushed the nation over that edge. There are many that say that Lincoln's willingness to go to war with the South had little or nothing to do with slavery, but that simply isn't true. During the Civil War, Lincoln said that he had always believed slavery was unjust and he couldn't remember a time in his life when he thought differently. He didn't necessarily have all of the answers about what the nation would look like after slavery ended, but he did want to end it. In 1854, Lincoln gave what is known as the Peoria speech, where he told the audience that slavery needed to be abolished. However, at that time, he didn't know how to do it or what would happen afterwards. What would become of the South's economy? Should we do it gradually or all at once? Would the nation accept the free blacks? How would they be treated? How would they treat their former slave owners? There were four million of them, and without proper education, could they function on their own in a free society? Would they return to Africa? Did they want to return to Africa, the land from which they had been taken? He didn't know any of the answers. No one did, black or white. But he knew the most important answer. Slavery had to end. It was evil. Are there any quotes about race that some point to where Lincoln seems reluctant to whites and blacks to live together or intermarry? Yes, yet another indication of the times in which he lived. However, even on that, Lincoln's feelings evolved. There is no doubt, however, that he was unwavering in his resolve to see an end to slavery. Whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. At a Chicago speech in 1858, he said, I have always hated slavery. I think as much as any abolitionist. And in the debate with Stephen Douglas before he was president. He is blowing out the moral lights around us when he contends that whoever wants slaves has a right to hold them. That he is penetrating, so far as lies in his power, the human soul and eradicating the light of reason and the love of liberty. When he is in every possible way preparing the public mind by his vast influence for making the institution of slavery perpetual and national. 
when virtually everyone else in his administration and his life insisted that he let it go. Lincoln instead forged ahead, issuing the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, stating that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are, and henceforward, shall be free. It was a just cause, and certainly a costly one. It tore the nation in half for the first time and took the lives of 620,000 Americans. One recent study actually puts the number closer to 850,000, more than the total loss of all other American wars combined. But Abraham Lincoln, the abolitionists, and most of the founding fathers knew that it was an evil that had to be eradicated, and thus a price had to be paid. For the left in America, it's strange that the founders and Lincoln still receive the treatment that they do. But when you consider the love and admiration they still express for proven racist and eugenics advocates like Woodrow Wilson, Margaret Sanger, and George Bernard Shaw, one is left scratching their head. Glenn Beck. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com.